Welcome everyone, good to see you. Um, our first order of business is roll call. I'll do the roll call. Uh, my name is Alan Tai, city planner, also the board secretary. Um, Chair Saxby. Here. Board member Lau. Here. Board member Jones. Present. Board member Sanchez. Here. And board member Witt. Here. All present, and we have a quorum. Excellent. Next uh, item of business is the uh, minutes from our December 5th, 2019 meeting. Came up a long time ago. Does anybody have any comments on those minutes? No. I have two small and it's kind of it's a it's a long uh, meeting note, so I'm not sure how to direct you to my comments, but they really are very minor. On page two of my printout, um, it says uh, staff member Ty said that the staff would work with the applicant to make sure the board's comments were noted, and that AASP would be notified. So that's AATF. Um, you know, I'll check the society. Just a typo. And then further down the page, uh, it says board, board member Sanchez was concerned about the tree collection due to how it can obstruct the view and wanted to know why the honey locust tree was chosen. So I recall making that comment. Um, I'm not sure if, if uh, board member Sanchez did as well, but I, I think that was me who, uh, instead of Sanchez, made that comment. Yeah, good catch, Tom. I believe that was you. So that's all I had. So with those corrections, uh, do we have a motion to approve the minutes? Motion to approve the minutes. Second. Uh, I second the motion. Uh, all in favor? Aye. 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 All opposed? We have approved minutes. Um, the next. Uh, order of business is uh, agenda changes and discussions. Are there any changes? No changes from staff. Can we else have a change? No. Okay, so we're moving on. Uh, item five, oral communication. So if any of the attendees would like to speak, if they could please raise their hand. And there are no speakers. I wasn't raising my hand. <laughs> uh, written communication. We have, I guess uh, we have staff the... received. Yeah, we have that one letter from Mr. Chris Buckley representing AEPS for tonight's item. And was he uh, intending to, to be here to present this letter, or are we just going to take it in as his uh, comment? You know? We just acknowledge the comment for for the record. Okay. Um, uh, regular agenda items is next. Item 7A, it's the Historic Preservation Ordinance Informational Workshop. And I think uh, staff member Ty is gonna give us a presentation. Yes. Uh... Good evening. Thank you, Chair Saxby, members of the Historical Advisory Board. Um, again, Alan Tai, Secretary to the Board. 
um, the city recently received an application to amend the historical preservation ordinance to include the um, State Mills Act program, which is a property tax incentive program um, to facilitate restoration and rehab of historical resources. So as staff was reviewing that proposal, we just thought that it would make sense for us to pick up the work that was started approximately eight or uh, nine years ago on the update of the preservation ordinance. So since um, so much time has passed, uh, what we're doing tonight really is a kickoff meeting to start um, fresh conversations about the update to the ordinance. And so tonight, um, the game plan is, if I can um, share the screen. There we go. Um, do you all see the cover page? Yes. 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 Okay. <clears throat> so, um, so as I mentioned um, in the staff report, tonight's workshop is really an overview of the existing ordinance and to explore ideas for future amendments. Um, the outline for tonight will include a quick overview of the historical resources in the city that's covered by the ordinance. Um, the bulk of my presentation will be a walkthrough of the existing ordinance. Um, and then if the board chooses to uh, want to have a break for questions or comments midway, um, that would be a good stoppage point. Um, and then we will talk about uh, the potential ideas for amendments that um, staff has come up with and certainly welcome uh, other ideas. Um, and then we'll wrap up with a quick discussion of the timeline and um, next steps for our next meeting. Um, and then obviously public comment board discussion um, can occur and Chair Saxby, um, you, you may decide how you want to orchestrate the public comment so that this isn't so much of a one-way communication between staff and the board and the public, but more of, more of a dialogue. Um, quickly, this, these photos here show the diverse uh, historical resources that we have in the city. I think we're very fortunate to be able to work and live here in, in the city. And these photos don't even do it justice in terms of the breadth and range of historical resources that we have in Alameda. Um, when we take a look at the numbers, we have 30 historical monuments, including two historic districts, Alameda Point um, and Park Street. Formal name would be NAS Alameda. Um, Alameda Point in the Park Street Historic Districts, um, but also several heritage areas um, and historic districts adopted by the Historical Advisory Board. Most recently, the Alameda, Alameda Marina Historic District, um, as well as 18 historical signs and nearly 4,000 resources, properties on the historical building study list. And in 2003, we've amended the ordinance to also require demolition control. It's a screening process for uh, buildings built before 1942. And that consists of about 8,300 um, buildings. And so when you, when you add up all of those resources and compare that number to the approximately 19, 
thousand buildings in Alameda, really the ordinance affects more than 40% of the buildings in the city. So the work that we're going to be doing on the preservation ordinance is really that important. Uh, in terms of objectives from staff, in terms of the uh, update for the ordinance, really we want to take the opportunity to incorporate uh, best practices. Um, and we started by looking at other cities, taking a look at the state guidelines um, to, to come up with some ideas for what are best practices that are currently missing in the current ordinance. Um, over the years, the board and staff has also come up uh, with various practices and procedures that are not codified. And we think this is an opportunity to start memorializing those um, procedures in the code, as well as take the opportunity to clarify um, questions or issues that often come up in our current processes. Um, this is also a good opportunity to look at um, expanding uh, the ordinance to cover areas of need, particularly uh, giving the HAB uh, tools to deal with issues like enforcement and address various situations that would come up um, when it comes to um, leveraging compliance with the ordinance. Um, and, you know, in, uh, in addition to code enforcement penalties, we also want to take the advantage to offer incentives. And, and the Mills Act program is certainly one, but um, other cities have incorporated other measures for incentives, such as uh, providing um, either permit fee waivers for certain restoration work or uh, fa a fast track permit streamlining. And some of that we already have in our design review ordinance. For example, if you are restoring, taking an existing building and restoring it to its previous original state, um, those actions are exempt from design review. Um, but overall, you know, we wanna take the ordinance and um, encourage Alamedans to invest in property and not process. So we wanna be very mindful in, as we're updating the ordinance, are we creating too much process that people have to go through um, and setting up too many barriers as, as, um, in, as opposed to uh, in, you know, providing incentives for uh, property owners to do the right thing. But overall, we think that once we're able to accomplish these objectives that we are able to strengthen Alameda's um, preservation program. So at this point, um, I'm going to see if there are any questions about uh, what we're going to do tonight. Um, and if not, I will begin a walkthrough of our current ordinance. Okay. So um, what I have on the screen right now is the table of contents for the preservation ordinance. The ordinance was last updated in 2003 to address the definition of demolition and require demolition screening for all buildings built before 1942. Otherwise, what you see on the screen, this outline is pretty much the same content as this, um, especially in the first few sections, the purpose, definitions, and duties. Um, date back to its 1975 origin. So the preservation ordinance was originally created for historical monuments back in 1975. Um, just one other note, this ordinance uh, resides not in the city zoning regulations, but rather it's in chapter 13 of the Alameda Municipal Code um, together with uh, building and housing codes. 
Um, and so I said uh, just now that the ordinance pretty much dates back to its uh, roots in 1975. And so for instance, the purpose section here dates back to that period. And you will notice that um, this is before the city conducted the survey that resulted in the historical building study list. And so some of the rules and regulations and the basic review framework is not reflected in the purpose. And the purpose statement of an ordinance is, uh, is its use is really to declare the intent and the and, and summarize the specific topics that, and rules and regulations that are covered. And there's a lot of information, information missing from this purpose statement. Um, here are the definitions for the preservation ordinance. There are uh, seven technical terms that are defined, um, while there are other terms that are also covered elsewhere in the Alameda Municipal Code. Uh, staff sees this as an opportunity to, to clarify um, a lot of the uh, terms that are that will inherently come up during our process when we discuss historical resources. But in particular, I want to point out the uh, definition of demolition. Um, demolition shall mean a removal within a five-year period of more than 30% of the value of any designated structure or building as determined by the building official. While this 30% uh, threshold has been a good deterrent for at least from staff, staff perspective, working in the permit center and talking to a lot of applicants about what they can and cannot do with their properties, you know, ideas for additions, things of that nature. Whenever we mention the 30% threshold, we, I see it as a deterrent for major alterations to what would otherwise be more original architectural um, design. Um, but this definition also comes with a lot of uh, problems and also room for interpretation. For example, um, you know, the, the whole tie to percent of value of the building within a five-year period. Um, somebody coming in in year one doing an extensive kitchen remodel. You know, kitchen and bathrooms often um, are very expensive. I mean that, and then two years down the road, they come in with, with a very expensive uh, bathroom remodel. Technically, you could interpret that to be removal of 30% uh, of the value of the building within five years. So that's hypothetically, I mean, that is that is a, staff does not, usually make that type of determination, but that is an example of a hypothetical that you know, leaves room for interpretation. And with codes and definitions, we do not want to leave room for definition. Um, for the next section describes the duties of the Historical Advisory Board. Um, like the purpose section, the duties date back to the original ordinance, uh, but they're fairly straightforward. One idea for an amendment would be to codify the roles of, and responsibilities of staff, um, which we will discuss a little more later in this presentation. The next section uh, describes the process for designating historical monuments. And I mentioned earlier that the ordinance originated in 75 solely for the purpose of protecting historical monuments. Um, obviously, over time, uh, the, the number of historical resources has grown um, exponentially from the 30 monuments that we have. 
Um, and it's important to note that the actual criteria for designation is actually not codified. Uh, also just want to take the opportunity to point out that um, on the slide, I've ha I have paraphrased the individual sections just, just for, um, so just so that it's easier for you to digest, but um, the actual, uh, where, it, where, where I'm using actual text that would be highlighted on the screen. In the same section, um, or actually the next section, we talk about the procedures for preserving monuments. Uh, it lays out the processes for alterations and demolitions to monuments, including demolition and removal and alteration separately. Um, staff believes that the findings should be established for these scenarios. And simply uh, citing the Secretary of the Interior standards is not sufficient to accommodate all the different situations and project scenarios that have come before this board. Subsection B of the same section describes the appeal procedures uh, as well as um, noticing requirements. And there's another section in the AMC that covers uh, this matter in much greater detail. I'm gonna pause again at this point to see if the board or um, any members of the public has questions about what we had just covered. Again, we're going over the specific sections of the existing ordinance. Okay. So uh, we are in the same section, but subsection C, maintenance of historical resources, prescribes a general maintenance statement that all historic monuments and district contributors be maintained in good repair. Um, this provision does not address study list properties. So that is an opportunity to expand that mandate that if you own a, a historical resource that uh, it has to be kept in good repair. And then when there's a natural disaster that damages the historical monument, an interim stabilization plan is required and spells out the specific requirements um, for when that has to be submitted and um, that it has to have a weatherization plan and condition assessment. Again, overarching comment for this section is to expand the protection to um, other um, study list properties. This last subsection uh, allows the Historic Advisory Board to delegate its powers to staff. And this board did so with a re the review of historic uh, Accessory, with accessory building demolitions in 1993. And in 2012, uh, this board had delegated the review of um, oak tree removals um, to staff. Uh, the, I wanna point out that the resolution that the board adopted in 2012 for, re, for tree removals actually does a very good job of detailing out the findings that staff should consider for approval. Um, and and um, considers a variety of uh, situations. And, and we think those findings in that resolution should be codified in the ordinance. Next section in the existing code um, has to do with historic signs. Um, the actual text is on the screen. It's, it's very short, 
uh, gives the, uh, it's very brief, it gives the historical advisory board um, responsibility to adopt guidelines for signs. And, and this board has done that um, in the past, um, starting with a sign scoring criteria in 1989, followed by specific, a very simple set of procedures in 1993. And so um, staff will be revisiting those guidelines and also um, reviewing it with, with legal to verify that those um, requirements are still um, okay under law, given that there's been a lot of First Amendment um, court decisions related to signage. The next section is a fairly important section. Um, it's called interim review because this section originated in 1980 when the city council first adopted a demolition screening criteria. And at that time, uh, that actually that ordinance had a definition of older buildings defined as buildings that are 50 years and older. And um, upon receiving a uh, application for a demolition permit, the building official needed to refer that demolition permit to the Historical Advisory Board for review. And that's why it's called interim review. In 2003, uh, the city had updated this section to include the uh, threshold, uh, to expand that threshold, not just 50 years or older, but um, also buildings built part of 1942. Couple of issues with this section is that one, it's again tied to the, demo, the demolition of demolition, definition of demolition, 30% uh, of the value of the structure within five years, as well as um, not having any findings for approval other than that to issue a certificate of approval, the board has to make the finding that the project is consistent with the secretary's standards. I have a um, and just kind of an example, yes. So <clears throat> what, what about buildings built in 1943? Is it 50 years or is it 1942 is the definite cutoff? 1942 is now the definite cutoff. So if you are built, if the building was built in 1943, um, it is not subject to this demolition control process. So okay. again, I think that is, an, that is a policy discussion that we could have um, going forward. Many cities and, and, and um, in fact, the national and state um, criteria often uh, is tied to the 50-year threshold. Ah, thank you. In fact, not to belabor it, but this is prior to 1942. So if the building was built in 1942, then it wouldn't apply. Is that correct? That's, that is correct. That is correct. And um, just a little bit of background, and I kind of have that, have that in the sidebar note. Um, it, the threshold, from what I recall in 2003, was based on the understanding that upon the, the uh, nation's entry into World War II, the focus of construction was all about supporting the wartime effort. And so there was less um, attention paid to ornamental architecture. And, and, it, and effectively, it kind of ended ended that era um, locally and here in Alameda, where people are building, you know, really nicely crafted um, buildings. 
any more um, questions or discussion before I continue? There is a member from the public that has their hand raised. Chair Saxby, would you like to call that member? I can't see who uh, has raised their hand. Uh, it's My, Christopher Buckley. Oh, Chris Buckley is, is asking to ask a question? Sure. Yes, can you hear me? I can now. Okay, I, yes. I'd like to make a clarification on a couple of the previous statements. Prior to currently, buildings that are post-1942 and are on the study list, there's a number of those, maybe at least a dozen, those are still subject to interim review. So it's not correct to say that anything that is 1942 or newer is not subject to interim review. That's the first clarification. And Alan, tell me if you think I'm wrong on that. No, you're correct. Actually, in fact, um, bullet point B on the slide says it right there. Whoops, okay. Thank I you. Was, I was listening <laughs> you. to you because you were so interesting. Um, the second, my second clarification is that prior to 2003, I don't believe 50 years old was any kind of threshold. I, I'm almost certain of that. The, what was subject to interim review then was the um, preservation, the historic building study list. Those approximately 4,000 buildings. So basically the only um, you know, demolition proposals that the board had purview over prior to 2003 were those involving historical monuments and study list properties. And, and tell me if I'm wrong on that. Chris, I think you may be right on that because um, the older buildings, I'm just going to call it, the older buildings ordinance was adopted in 1980. And I believe subsequently um, when, the, when the building study list was established, that would have taken over the 50-year-old uh, threshold. I'm, I'm guessing yes. that's probably what happened. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that clarification. Okay, I'll have some other comments, but I'll wait till you finish your presentation and when the board uh, calls on me uh, later on. Okay, thank you, Mr. Buckley. Thank you, Chris. Um, so I will continue. This next slide is also very interesting. Um, let's talk about trees. So a couple of years ago, staff had um, came forward to the board uh, with a proposal to update this section related to tree protection. And that was at the uh, direction of the city council. Um, and this was this, this update that we're doing um, this time around would give us an opportunity to continue those conversations. And I think the policy questions that are outstanding really includes, you know, how much protection does the city want to offer to trees? And in what form of protection should that be? Um, some cities require all trees uh, of a certain size to uh, go through a tree removal permit process, or even when there are major trimming to certain trees. But uh, those cities, would also have dedicated arborists on staff handling that volume of permits. 
So I think that is a, ultimately a policy question that um, the board and city council can consider is how much do you want to expand this program? Um, there are other cities that, uh, that sort of take a more limited approach, but um, which leads staff to kind of suggest that maybe another approach would be we keep the current list of trees that are protected, but then create a new category of like landmark trees or majestic trees, you know, and, and really um, embark on an effort to identify those. You know, these would be trees that are really of an extraordinary size, or they have been in a location that is a landmark for the neighborhood for many years. And those might be um, a, a separate category that, that we, uh, that we established. So again, those are ideas that um, I'm throwing out there for the board to think about and the public to think about. Um, the one other point I wanna make about trees is um, it currently establishes a two to one replacement ratio for any oak trees removed. Um, and we often receive requests from property owners. Typically it's the elderly couple with the uh, fixed income. I had a question like that come up today where, you know, it's not their fault the tree is, is dead. They have to remove it, but um, the cost for to plant two trees, not just one, two, um, is just something they cannot afford. And so um, we will talk a little bit about economic, economic hardship uh, considerations later on. But that would be an example of um, an opportunity we can look at with this ordinance. Um, the next section has to do with limitate, limiting the board's ability to acquire property and money. And I think this section might be obsolete as there might now be other provisions in the AMC that speaks to limitations of boards, city boards and commissions in the use of funds and acquiring property. Um, I just want to make that note. Uh, we're approaching the end of the existing ordinance. Um, this section talks about the uh, ties a current ordinance to uh, applicable state laws. Um, so the state historical building code um, is often seen as an incentive for the upkeep and investment in historical resources uh, by relaxing some of the requirements in the California building code. So we, we actually encounter that on a daily basis um, at the counter. And I believe our current code applies the state historic building code to uh, all historical resources as well as any building that was built before 1942. So we are applying that fairly liberally, um, and which makes sense for Alameda where we have a lot of buildings that are, um, that are, the, are fairly aged. Um, the other important law that I want to point out. Um, obviously, California Environmental Quality Act, we, we hear about a lot, but the Permit Streamlining Act is one that is important because um, what it does is it requires the city staff to determine whether a discretionary application, so that would be like a design review or a certificate of approval, um, the city has to determine whether the application is complete or incomplete within 30 days of submittal. Otherwise, it becomes automatic, automatically complete, and we would have to take action within 180 days. 
the single law really has been the has been driving the priorities in the planning department since its establishment. So um, I'll tell you right now, even though I am very excited to work on this preservation ordinance update, um, but if suddenly tomorrow we get a rush of you know many applications, then the priority under state law would be for for me to work on those applications, determining make a determination of completion incomplete um, before before coming back to um, this type of work. Uh, last but not least, the final section of the ordinance addresses penalties. Um, this is where somebody in violation of the ordinance does either an alteration to a historic monument or uh, more often, um, you know, they, they make alterations without permits. Um, the ordinance, obviously any violation of the AMC is automatically a misdemeanor, but on top of that, the ordinance prescribes a five-year stay on permits. So meaning if you demolish a historical monument or a district contributor or a study list structure without permits, without getting proper approval, um, the city will not issue you new building, building permits for new construction uh, in five years. Other cities often have a range of tools um, that in also include monetary fines um, to address different situations. So, you know, perhaps if somebody, you know, not knowingly changes, builds a water heater enclosure in the back, Right, um, that might not necessarily, that might not be, that violation might not be proportional to a five-year stay in new permits. So I, I think there is opportunity to look at uh, the enforcement tools and penalties um, with a broader lens and considering various situations. Okay, so um, that kind of concludes staff's evaluation of the existing ordinance. I think this is a good time for uh, us to pause, ask questions, and talk about what we've discussed. Thank you, Catherine Tsai. Uh, that was an excellent presentation, very thorough. Uh, it's clear to me that I, I think we'll need a lot of direction sort of going through the ordinance uh, item by item or paragraph by paragraph, you know, given your experience uh, with the ordinance and uh, the things that need to be uh, adjusted or rewritten. Um, it would be very helpful if you could kind of guide us through that. But to start with, I was I was hoping that um, we could go around the members of the board and see if if uh, if anybody wants to share their their ideas for um, uh, for their goals or, or uh, objectives in uh, making revisions to the ordinance. Um, things that after you've read through it, you think need to be addressed to add to uh, staff recommendations. Um, Senator Tai? Yes, uh, Chair Saxby, I, I just wanna uh, mention that uh, I'm not completely done with the presentation. My next section will go a little bit more detail in um, on some of the concepts or ideas for amendments. We'll dive into those discussions a little bit more. 
And so uh, this would be an uh, opportunity for the board to ask questions about what I've covered about the existing ordinance. And I believe um, Mr. Buckley also had a couple of comments to make about the existing ordinance before we continue on. Thank you. Um, did Mr. Buckley have questions or comments about the existing ordinance? Uh, I think questions, questions would probably be more appropriate at yeah, this I think time. You're, you're suggesting questions first and then comments later. Uh, Board Member Sanchez, did you have a question? Uh, yes, I did. I had a question regarding uh, the tree, um, the tree protection. Um, so, the I guess the question is, if you if somebody removes an oak, then they are asked to replace it with two, uh, with two trees. Is that do I have that right? So is that the is correct? Is the replacement uh, site specific. So in other words, if somebody has a small yard, they take out a large oak, they then have to plant two oaks within that small parcel. That That's one of the issues that I see with that one in particular is that a two for one, I, I'm thinking about a neighbor in particular that has a giant oak, it's beautiful. If and when they needed to, or that tree uh, came out, um, I don't know whether there would be room for two because when they matured, they would outgrow the space. So I think that would be something for us to consider. Um, is it two trees or could you, you know, pay for a tree to be put in elsewhere in order to resolve that issue? Right, that's actually a very good point, Board Member Sanchez. In fact, um, it does come up very often. Um, sometimes the reason to remove an oak tree is because it's overgrowth. You know, it started off in a small cramped area anyway, and it's grown, overgrown its space. The arborist would recommend removing it, but then the city requirement would be no, not only do you replace it with one, you got to put in two in that already tight space. Now, um, we have over time improvised and accepted um, an in lieu fee. The city council has adopted an in lieu fee for tree replacement, and that's those, those funds go into um, the city's uh, tree fund. And um, currently that money is intended to be spent at Sweeney Park. So to complete um, some of the future landscaping plans, including planting some oaks there. But um, you are absolutely right. Um, and I think staff suggestion would be to, to uh, consider some more flexibility. Maybe it is a one for one and maybe we would allow the replacement tree to be offsite um, and then, you know, just some more detail about the procedures and how we guarantee that that will take place. One suggestion I would have is um, why would it have to be species specific? Um, why would why wouldn't the owner be able to uh, plant a tree that's a different variety and would not grow to the size of an oak tree? Yeah, that's also another um, possible consideration, and, and I think. Um, the other, there's some synergies here when we talk about trees and, you know, with, with the city's climate action plan, you know, trees definitely have an environmental benefit and not just oaks, it could be, you know, it could be a different species that offer um, equal or, or greater um, environmental benefits. So those are certainly ideas um, the, the board can explore. Other questions? Board member Lau, are you? Yeah, I, no, I actually have some question. Uh, I just want to clarify. One is, I uh, mentioned about the uh, item number two, 
the definition one, the demolition that one. So how do you guys calculate the value? I just curious, so like sample 30%, not more than 30% on the value. Is it you meaning it based on the current market value or based on the um, the original building cost? Um, how do you guys, how the right now the situation is a uh, 30% of the value? How do you, how did I do the appraisal? Is it current appraisal value or I mean something like that, so. That's, that's a great question, board member Lau. Um, so the code says that that decision is made by the building official and then talking to the building is official, uh, he uses the replace, the actual replacement value of the building. Um, and and uh, I believe the building code has a specific, uh, maybe like a cost table that is, that he can use or reference based on the uh, building size, square footage, as well as uh, constru construction type. But oftentimes, you know, just based on our building official, Greg McFan, who's very experienced, he can um, take a look at the plans and pretty much eyeball and, and be able to tell us uh, whether it's met that threshold or not, and then be able to show us that it, it does. Great. Other question? Yeah, uh, I do have another one. Is uh, you mentioned about like um, in the item number? Um, you talk about the uh, um, you know the demonstration same item number two. I mean, explanation. So, is it like the like uh, the detect like sample the garage? Because nowadays, as a lot of people do, is the ADU right? The ADU requirement. There are a lot of people did is like um, trying to remove the garage. Okay, and then like they build another unit, the ADU unit in the back of the of the house. So if this one is at a historical building, based on I know would be similar age. Okay, I mean most of those similar age. So if they remove it, um, is it still considered as a thirty percent on that range? Meaning, yes. Yeah, so um, even though under under state law, ADUs are ministerial building permit processes now. When somebody is proposing to demolish a garage and that garage, either the property is on the study list or, uh, or the structure was built before 1942, we do apply that 30% uh, threshold to, to um, do a screening. And um, when we receive the plans, we would look at the garage, look at the construction date, check and see whether the property is on the study list or not. If it's not on the list, is there anything that might let, lead us to believe that the building should be listed? And so we kind of go through those steps um, the same way we do with any other certificate of approval application. And that all has to happen before uh, the ADU application. So just because the ultimate intent is to build an ADU doesn't mean that the process to, to look at the de garage demolition is, is um, exempt from the demolition review. Does that make sense? Yeah. So last question, maybe. Yeah. So you did mention about that. So the, uh, I, based on you mentioned about that, the before you do the um, uh, like sample demonstration, I mean demolition, is it like you need to the like sample? If I want to, um, if I want to do the demolition for the garage, so I need to submit the purpose to use. Like maybe I will build an ADU and let the let the panel let the guy know first before I can do the. Basically, before I got the approval, um, I need to get. I need to show you what's the future use for that 
that uh, after I do the demination, is it? Um, what happens in reality for most homeowners is um, they would hire an architect um, who would draw up their plans and, and they don't really separate this into a two-step process. They would basically approach the permit center and say, I want to build an ADU and the garage is in the way. So I'm either going to, I'm going to be demolishing it to, to afford the ADU. And so in that case, um, we would, we would take in the building permit, um, hold it until we go through the process of the uh, demolition screening. So that's, um, oftentimes that's how that takes place because when you hire an architect to prepare drawings, you don't have the architect do the garage first and then come back and do the rest of the plans. It's usually they would prepare the uh, application package and plans for the homeowner all in one package. And so that's how, that's how we're, we're seeing those proposals come in and in the permit center. Okay. But yes, technically you could split them up, come in with the certificate of the, the approval first and then come in later with the, um, with, with the ADU application. Do you allow like certain time, like example, if I got the approval first, I just say, hey, I want to remove the garage, okay? And then after that, submit that to my, oh, I want to build an ADU in the, in the future. Can you guys allow that? Or I mean, is there a certain time limit? Yes, yes. No, we would allow the removal of the garage uh, with just surface parking. I mean, we do sometimes get requests like that. Board member Sanchez? Yeah, so I was going to speak to Alvin's question. So Alvin, I'll give you an example. We had a client who um, they had a property where they had a garage that was in distress and it was falling down. Um, they had just inherited the property from a relative who had passed away recently and they did not have any plans for replacing the structure. They merely wanted to remove it to alleviate a safety concern because that property was then either going to be sold or rented or you know they hadn't decided what to do with it yet so in that case we did apply for a certificate of approval for the demolition of the structure um, it was a pre-1942 home and the the building was um, you know the, it was deemed not to be significant and so that we were allowed to remove it uh, without having yet a plan in place for for any re, uh, replacement but i think to alan's point if we if our ultimate goal was to build a new adu typically we would fold the demolition and the application together since they're inextricably tied sure yeah okay other other questions okay uh Staff member Tai, you want to go ahead with your recommendation? Great, thank you. Um, let me oh, share sorry, screen did, again. Sorry to interrupt, Alan. Did did Chris Buckley have questions? Did we did we pass him out? Uh, he lowered his hand afterwards, so I'm not sure okay. if he still has questions. All right, thank you. Okay, okay so. Um, you should now be seeing the slides on the screen again. Um, I should mention that I purposely chose a dark mode so that it'd be easier for the eyes since I know this is gonna be a long presentation. Um, so what I've done here is really put together a comparison slide and this is to give you a visual of what might be missing from Alameda's uh, current ordinance. And um, 
So what I have on, on the right-hand side, or at least my right-hand side, is um, a sample uh, table of contents from the model ordinance. And when you look at some of the other cities in, in California, um, they're often structured um, with these items. And what I've highlighted in bold are subheaders um, that you would commonly see. And those are the items that um, are missing from our current ordinance. But I'll be going through these in a little bit more detail. Just want to quickly say that um, I think the amendments um, that we're going to be discussing will fall into three main categories. And it probably will help us to think about them um, in these three buckets. Um, when we talk about introducing new policies or concepts or best practices, that, that's really um, a category on, on its own. Um, when we talk about codifying existing procedures, such as the findings in the 2012 HAB resolution delegating tree removal to staff, that is sort of a, a, a documenting or memorializing existing practices and procedures. And then last but not least is more of, you know, updates to uh, that fall under technical and, and administrative clarifications, maybe, you know, tweaking the wording about how we say um, how we uh, write certain rules so that they are user-friendly and clear. And so these are just sort of the uh, three areas that I'm going to cover in terms of some suggestions. So in terms of new policies and best practices, I think um, there's an opportunity to allow a, additional protection of eligible and undesignated historic resources. Um, and we were just kind of talking about that with uh, using the garages as an example, but um, having the ability for staff to screen and nominate and perhaps even add and update the study list um, might be something the board wants to consider. We often get a question um, about, hey, how, how often has the city updated the study list? Well, in reality, there hasn't been a wholesale comprehensive update. We haven't really done um, substantial uh, surveys of, of city areas since the initial survey was done. I mean, there's been subsequent surveys about particular groups of resources, but we have not completely relooked at the study list. Um, but we can take the opportunity um, with the permit center handling kind of day-to-day -day business to allow staff to do that kind of screening. Um, and in some cases, you might even want to allow staff to suggest delisting certain property that um, might not belong on the list originally, um, with, of course, processes for oversight, uh, you know, and appeals and calls for reviews by the HAB and the City Council. Um, I don't have these in particular order, so um, they, they, the the uh, ideas might might not all relate to each other sequentially, but um, one other idea, I'm sorry? I'd like to ask a quick, a quick question regarding the first item. Yes. Um, yes. When, a, when the HAB or staff were to uh, designate a property for the study list, does the owner of that property have to uh, agree to that? That is a good question. Currently in our ordinance, it does say that the HAB shall consider the uh, opinion of the property owner. 
Um, there is no, I don't believe there is a law that requires it, I, but um, oftentimes uh, cities do allow property owners to object. And I will tell you that the um, State Historic Preservation Office's position on that is when cities uh, do consider property owner um, consent, um, we, we allow the, uh, we require the owner um, or give the owner an opportunity to object at the end of the process so that the process could be informative and educational and perhaps uh, convince the owner to agree that it's a good thing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So um, related to that um, is really some procedures on moratoriums on permits when nominations are pending. Um, this is really a, a, a provision that I think we see in all other uh, preservation ordinances across the state where we do not want um, somebody to take to skirt the nomination process and pull demolition permits or pull permits to alter the resource so that it no longer qualifies. So we currently don't have that on the book today, but most cities have that requirement. So once the resource is nominated for designation, there is a temporary, uh, usually a six month um, hold on, on any permits other than typical maintenance and repair. Um, this next bullet at the top has to do with the demolition definition. And as um, staff was considering uh, the definition and basically evaluating our current process, um, particularly with alterations to the contributors on Park Street, um, I realized that it might be a good idea to distinguish between major and minor alterations. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking particularly about some of the storefronts on Park Street, for example, uh, Tor Safari earlier in this year had um, had vandals vandalized the windows, and um, during the repair process, it was decided that they may not be able to replace it with the exact window frame. There might be slight modifications to the window frame necessary, and you know that raised some questions about well, do they need to go through? Do we need to schedule an HAB meeting just to talk about that? And we, we're talking about really one panel of the window. Um, ultimately, I think that issue got resolved, but I think it raises questions about, hey, are there certain minor uh, scopes of work where the board can establish clear procedures, pretty much like the design review ordinance, where there are clear procedures on items that are exempt from design review um, that we could apply in these situations. And that way, we're not creating excessive processes that, um, that we're making businesses go through. Okay, um, next bullet is um, establishing clear criteria for when we need to amend a designation or remove a designation. Um, sometimes um, events occur, either natural disasters or, or you know, fire that destroys the uh, resource, or uh, we may have resources that have been demolished already. Um, the Bethlehem uh, Warehouse over in Reno Village is an example. It is still 
designated, but the resource is actually gone? And do we establish a criteria um, for removing them off, uh, removing that designation? Um, and then also third bullet there is um, considering incentives. We talked about earlier uh, the Mills Act program or other provisions for streamlining, uh, potentially fee waivers or fee reductions, but obviously any adjustment to fees would have to be approved by the city council as well as the ordinance. Um, I mentioned economic hardship a little bit earlier, including the situation about, uh, you know, uh, where ex the, ex the fixed income elderly couple needed special consideration. But there are also in situations where uh, a resource might be completely destroyed and then requiring the construction, reconstruction of the resource um, would be economically infeasible. There, I'm sure there are many other examples of economic hardship that can apply, but I think this is an area that this board um, could focus on a little bit. Um, also considering in terms of the toolbox we talked about earlier um, related to enforcement, um, a provision for penalizing demolition by neglect. I think there are some examples, notable examples of buildings in town that are just sitting there um, and, and nothing's really being done. They, they may have an open building permit and they're sort of buying time that way, but, but uh, many cities also have stronger provisions that say, yeah, that doesn't fly. You, you can have a building permit, but if you're not actually working on it and you're letting the building deteriorate, that is demolition by neglect and that there are penalties tied to it. So that might be a way to compel uh, a property owner to be more responsible in, in the upkeep of, a, of important historical resources. And then, you know, just also the idea of thinking about different penalties and using different tools, uh, depending on the nature of the violation. Um, I'm thinking, I just have a couple more slides. I can continue and, and wrap this up before we go on to questions and comments. Does that sound like a good plan? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the next bucket I had mentioned was just about memorializing and clarifying existing practices. Um, I mentioned role, the, having uh, in the code some formal authority for staff um, uh, for reviewing accessory structures and tree removal. Um, currently those, those are by resolutions of the board, but we could certainly have uh, that process codified um, if you feel that the existing process works. Um, the acceptance of in lieu fees for tree removal, something that I don't believe is in the current code. Um, and specifically for trees, I believe uh, there should be a more simpler process for dead trees. We often receive uh, arborist reports that claim, hey, this, this tree has reached its end of life. But, you know, again, considering the, you know, do we need to do a public notice to a 300-foot uh, um, radius notifying them that the tree is dead and needs to be removed? So. I think there's opportunity for some streamlining and some um, cost cutting for, for property owners. I mean, removing a tree, as I understand, is also a hefty cost to call a landscape company to come and remove it. So um, simplifying and reducing the permit burden, I think would be um, much appreciated by the community. 
Um, I recall there are um, certain performance standards or standard conditions of approval that the board has applied to certain projects over the years. For example, um, when we when the board evaluates pop-up additions on single-story bungalows, I mean, the standard that we staff tells applicants at the counter today are you rotate that gable roof. Um, you use a seven-foot uh, plate height to lower down the, the roof profile, as well as if you're building a, a new addition at the back of the home, um, you build that slab on, slab on grade. Some of that is um, captured in the city's design guidelines, but I don't think they're all in one place. So I think as an opportunity, this board can either look at codifying some performance standards or um, create a separate document of um, objective standards that can be automatically applied anytime we encounter these projects. Um, another condition that is becoming standard practice is for uh, anytime there are demolitions of historical buildings, we require the photo documentation. Um, and in, in other cases, we have required uh, the advertising of the sale or relocation of the resource um, for a period of time before we allow the actual demolition. So those um, those tools can actually be codified in the code and memorialized and made permanent. Um, I mentioned earlier staff level review of certain minor alterations to contributing structures on Park Street. And that's something um, kind of a repeat of the earlier bullet, um, but it's uh, going back to trees. Uh, I think it's worth considering whether public works their work on routine street tree maintenance or replacement, if they're implementing the council approved street tree master plan, whether we require a city department to apply for a certificate of approval. That's actually been, um, um, as, as the public works department is following the tree master plan during maintenance, they are removing trees that are unhealthy and dead, dead and, or, and putting in new trees. Um, they're often required to come in with a permit. An example would be the London plane trees along Central Avenue. The goal is to replace it with a new London plane tree, but, but take out the old one. But they, there is a cost um, to apply for another city department to apply for certificate approval. So um, that, I think that's something also worth discussing. Last bucket here has to do with the technical and administrative um, clarifications and corrections I mentioned. Really the goal is to re eliminate redundant language and ensure the, uh, the ordinance is easily understandable. We minimize room for interpretation, um, you know, and also uh, take the opportunity to expand and improve upon the definitions um, and a chance to reorganize um, certain sections. So, certain provisions about appeals and notices appear in multiple sections. We could probably group that into one section and, and keep the actual uh, length of the text um, somewhat streamlined. And then last but not least, ensure consistency with other sections of the Alameda Municipal Code. So I think that summarizes the three buckets. Um, I'll just go ahead and quickly talk about uh, staff's proposed timeline for this uh, historic preservation ordinance update. Uh, tonight we are hosting an introductory workshop. Um, the plan is for to come back November 5th with the uh, 
draft uh, sections that the Historical Advisory Board previously reviewed in 2012 and 2013. Um, so basically, I will take those sections, relook at it, maybe tweak it a little bit, and then bring it back to this board for review. And then at that meeting, we can also take some time to talk about what we want to see in, in December. Um, I anticipate we'll need to go through several rounds because there, I mean, we are talking about a lot of different subject matter and, and some of these do require a lot of in-depth discussion. Um, so that will take us into the early part of 2021. Um, and because we are a certified local government, um, the update of the ordinance is we need to send that draft ordinance to the state for review and comment. Um, and it'd be helpful to, to hear what the state says and often they provide um, very useful comments. Um, and then after that, we will have a hearing. Um, the board will hold a hearing once you're ready with the, once you feel comfortable um, with the draft ordinance, you would make a recommendation to the city council. And I anticipate council adoption to take place um, kind of middle of the spring of next year and, and with the ordinance becoming effective um, middle of the year. Um, again, just a quick preview for next meeting. This is what the Historical Advisory Board had previously reviewed. Um, this last meeting was May 2nd, 2013. That board had looked at revised uh, purpose sections, definitions, um, duties, as well as procedure and criteria for uh, landmarks in historic districts. There were, at that time, there were suggestions to rename historical monuments to landmarks and to give the, uh, the city's official inventory, including the study list monuments, a different name. Um, I, think, I think the suggestion at the time was the historic cultural resources inventory. Um, I've modified it here to say historic resources inventory because I have seen the state office um, provide that comment to other cities who are also updating their ordinances to use terminology um, that is more commonly recognized um, um, in, in, in the field of preservation following national and state guidelines. So this is just kind of a preview for what um, staff would well like to bring back at your next meeting. Um, we can also take the next meeting to talk about the Mills Act program. I am not going to dive into the details tonight. Um, and then finally, um, for public comment, I will be the per person for this uh, effort and my contact information is on the screen. So that wraps up um, my presentation tonight and we can continue the Q&A, thank you. Thank you, Staff Member Ty. Um, very thorough presentation. Uh, I have one question for you regarding um, the 12, the 2012-13 proposed revisions to the ordinance. Um, what what happened to derail that? Why was that postponed? Why weren't those uh, carried out? So as I had mentioned, the uh, Permit Streamlining Act is really what drives our work. So um, often during times of recession, uh, when we see fewer uh, development applications come through our doors, 
that it's time for us to do some housekeeping work, just like updating ordinances. And so as we reached 2013, the, the work volume coming through our permit center was that was such that we, we just could not um, spend a consistent amount of time on the ordinance. And um, we also were not able to increase our department staff by a whole lot. So it's really a resource question. Okay. Were there other questions? Well, I, I was hoping that we would you know, have a chance to go around the board one by one to see um, if you have any comments on the current ordinance, if there are things that you'd like to incorporate into um, future revisions. Um, I, I will just jump in and start this discussion. Um, I think that uh, staff member Ty has covered a, a, a huge amount of information, and I think we're going to have to go through that piece by piece. Uh, to, to really get into the weeds. Um, but just kind of following the same format as the ordinance, I thought that under definitions, that it would be wise to include definitions for preservation, restoration, rehabilitation, and reconstruction, which are all pretty well defined in the National Park Service guidelines, but to actually include those in the ordinance for people to, to have that information at their, uh, for their use. And I also thought that um, under structural alterations, under definitions, it doesn't talk about exterior walls, which I think is an, is a, an important omission in that particular definition. But we can talk about that as well. Under duties, um, I, I found it, it odd that the duties of the Historical Advisory Board don't include approval of alterations to buildings on the historic study list or to pre-1942 buildings. It's not really uh, spelled out in the wording of the ordinance. So I would like to address that. Um, and, I, and I think the term, and it kind of later on in the, in the ordinance, it talks about interim review. And I, I think the definition of interim review needs to be looked at as well because interim requires temporary. And I wonder if there's a better way of wording that to, uh, to describe our role as a review authority or something that would be uh, a little better descriptor of what we as service we're, we're doing for the community. Um, uh, I also think we should look at, um, we could discuss the idea of reviewing projects, new construction possibly that falls within historic districts or that in, impacts historic neighborhoods, um, just to, to assure that those uh, projects are compatible and, um, you know, fit into the district, the integrity of the historic district. Um, I, I think that we should also look at um, possibly defining what our approval terms are in terms of review of projects, um, such as the board finds that the project has a significant adverse effect on uh, the historic integrity of that structure, or it has no significant historic effect. But right now, there's really no description in the ordinance of what our role is, is in, uh, in uh, determining uh, 
our decisions with regard to historic properties. Um, I, you know, and then finally, down at the end of the ordinance, um, I was looking at the penalties, and I thought it was, it, you know, there's pretty heavy penalties on um, in the ordinance. I was wondering if maybe we could talk about having a, a remedy period prior to those penalties taking place. So if someone were to tear down a accessory structure that happened to be historically significant, if they might be able to have a 12-month period of time in which to reconstruct that uh, before the penalties take place. Um, and I, I, as part of the penalties, I also think we should, and as, as staff member Ty suggested, uh, we need to look at uh, incentives too. I think it's an important part of the ordinance that is missing, that Mills Act, uh, fee reductions, waivers, and just um, um, even sort of use permits, I think, could be looked at as far as historic structures, but that's for discussion. Um, the, I think, we, you know, we also could talk about updating the historic study list. Um, it sounds like it's been a number of years since that has occurred. And I wonder if, um, if that's an effort that we could work with AAPS on to uh, you know, survey the, look at the current list and possibly add or remove buildings from that list based on a new survey. Um, I know there's a lot of buildings that are sort of remodeled historic buildings that if you look at them carefully, you can see that they're underneath the, the stucco covering there's a beautiful Victorian house that's been covered. And I just wonder if the historic study list um, addresses those kinds of buildings very effectively. Um, in the case of the uh, Lincoln Market, where we had a historic building that was pretty significantly disguised um, with remodeling. Um, and the last item I, I thought would be interesting to discuss would be the expansion of the, uh, the period of time with which buildings might be considered historic um, to include possibly the more modern era buildings up to say 1960 or so. I'm not sure how much merit that has uh, in Alameda, but I thought it would be something we could at least talk about um, because I know a lot of uh, historic ordinances are looking at modern era buildings as being something that uh, do have historic significance. And uh, so I'd like to, with that, pass it on to anyone else who would like to uh, sort of add some general thoughts about our ordinance review. Anyone? Yeah, sure. I, I can. Um, thanks, Tom. I think you covered a lot of the points that, that I was interested in. Um, for me, I think the 30% uh, the threshold has always seemed really ambiguous. Um, and difficult to enforce. Um, it seems like it puts uh, the building official in an unenviable position of trying to make a determination. And from my personal experience, it seems that um, typically it arises. Uh, there's some projects that very clearly exceed it, and there's some projects that very clearly are beneath. But I feel like the ones that are on the edge between being uh, in danger of passing the threshold or not are really subject to public opinion. And, and so I have found that 
when there's pushback on a project, often we suddenly trigger the 30% uh, threshold. Whereas if the project is less contentious, we do not. And and so I think that the few times that I've tried to sort of sit sit and understand what the valuation criteria are and how we actually arrive at that number, it has been clear that it's that it's a, a very ambiguous. And, and so I think that helping the the building official and clarifying that would be great. Um, I think that uh, Mr. Buckley made some really good points in his letter, and and I realized that some of those uh, were addressed prior to the earlier review. Um, but I thought that one in particular that I'll raise is that um, I thought the training for contractor suggestion under enforcement was, I thought, a very good one. I, I do think that, um, you know, the while I can understand a lot of homeowners not understanding the requirements um, of what triggers HAB and what process they're supposed to follow for demolition. I, I think that um, anybody who's uh, in the building trades, uh, certainly if they're local, they understand. Um, but I think having a, you know, an education effort, I guess, around uh, revolving around builders would be a good one because I do think that sometimes um, when I find that somebody gets into a code enforcement, um, it's either a homeowner self-performing or uh, a contractor that was not aware. So I, I thought that was a good a good point raised by um, AAPS's letter. Um, aside from that, I think we, it, I I would agree with uh, with Chair Saxby about the the need for us to update the the inventory in particular with maybe expanding into buildings that might be of a more modern era than 1942. Um, I guess uh, it's interesting to me to see that part of our duties are supposed to be that we maintain the list. And I don't know that we've ever made any concerted effort towards doing so. Um, so I don't know how we go about pursuing that. It seems like it's something that would be an undertaking that would take a significant amount of time. Uh, so I'd be open to having discussions about how we begin to pursue that. Um, the low-hanging fruit, obviously, would be to go through the inventory and identify properties that are no longer existing or have been modified since they were put on the original list. Um, and that might be a nice way to sort of begin with that process, but it seems like it would take a while for us to go through the list and, and really determine whether the, the structures still belong on it or not and, and what might be missing. So I guess I'm, I'm interested in how we would begin that process because it seems like it's one that would take a while. Thank you, Board Member Sanchez. Are there other comments, Bob? Yes. Hi. Um, thank you so much for your comments. I thought they were all on my list. Um, my question is around sort of the future of historical preservation in Alameda. I'm wondering what bucket um, or, or tools that we can look at for providing grants or assistance for our historical structures that are, are deteriorate, deteriorating, um, sort of ongoing. Since we have such an old, um, we have so many amazing structures, it would be great to, to look at the future of those and protecting them and how we can help homeowners with the maintenance. Um, yeah, let me quickly address that. So um, I think some of the comments mentioned above about 
revisiting the study list, maybe reevaluating some of the properties. Those are more of work programs, including um, and including the suggestion about um, offering funding to homeowners. And, and frankly, anytime it comes to funding money, that, that obviously will be a city council uh, consideration. But um, the code references, um, you know, a fund, historical advisory board fund, but there's actually not much revenue in it. And then the reason is um, when the city collects permit fees, those permit fees are really only to cover the cost of us doing the work. We don't actually make any money. And that is um, basically just general, a general rule of thumb in government. And there's, it's not a poor for-profit type of operation. And so um, it's it's always about well yes we can we can go do another survey but then um, where would the money come from we might have to ask council for general fund support um, to do that and and uh, maybe hire some con uh, professional consultants to go do that work but um, that is that is something that the uh, board can recommend as part of your update of the ordinance to the city council is hey we we now have an updated ordinance. We want to strengthen Alameda's program, but to do that, we need some monies and, and dedicated uh, staff resources to to um, take the next steps, right? Next steps would be to revisit the ordinance. And so, you know, to, to um, bring that, raise that question before the city council um, as a budget priority. So that's sort of how that process would work out. Um, but right now, I would say there isn't the staff capacity nor, nor the funds to be able to go and, and um, do a comprehensive um, survey. Um, we can apply for um, certified local government grant money, um, but typically those grant amounts are about 10 or $20,000, which wouldn't do a whole lot. I mean, it would help um, if we were targeting a very small neighborhood block, but maybe not an uh, entire neighborhood. And um, just another, random question um who who keeps track of the trees the, the the stock of trees is that public works um or so street trees is mm -hmm. right street trees will be covered in the city's street tree master plan and um, in preparing that plan maybe eight years ago the city did do a street tree survey now there are also a lot of trees in the city that are on private property and those are difficult to account for okay thank you so much okay are there other questions for mayor jones lao yeah do you hear me yes i do yeah so uh, basically, I just have some suggestion. I don't know if it's working or no. Uh, seeing you mentioned about it, like um, a normal mentioned about it is uh, um, before we cannot have, um, if somebody doing some illegal stuff, like, um, or the contractor doing something, um, don't got the permit and don't got the approval and then we move the, uh, or doing something wrong. And um, we suggest that is uh, we have our education them. And, but my question is, can we, can we get some, um, uh, like kind of fun, uh, the money they when they're doing something wrong, the contractor or the owner to need to create some fun. I mean, contribute some fun to help the people. Like example, um, people with the older people, they don't have a money to fix the historical building, so they can using that fund to help the low income people to do the repair or something like that. Or I mean, is it 
Is it work or no? Um, so if I understand your question, Board Member Lau, it's to um, for the folks who might eventually pay a fine for uh, doing work without permits, that that fine be collected and pulled into a fund that we would then redistribute to um, further other preservation programs, right? Is that is that sort of the question? Um, I think um, we can certainly explore the mechanics. Um, again, that, those would be decisions of the city council, whether to impose an additional fee for uh, any time anytime, uh, there is a violation. I mean, currently for code, any party that's um, subject of code enforcement, um, they are paying um, fees that would cover the city's cost to do the investigation. And that, that fee is more than the standard uh, permit fee that somebody would pay. But again, it's not extra money that would be able to fund a preservation program. And so that's some, but that, I think that's something the board can consider. And, and ultimately, you know, you are, this board is advisory to the city council and that is your role. And if you identify that as a need for the city's preservation program, you can make that recommendation to the city council. Or some contractor, if they, um, they, they violate some, some city code and they may, we need to educate them, right? But um, they can, another word is I ask them to do some warranty award, okay? Uh, to help the low income people to, Face, they don't have money, right? To do the um, to facing the um, the historic some historical like building for repairs expenses. So some older people may not to handle it. So my point is saying like, can they ask some contract like a community some service? Yeah, like something a community like that. service. <laughs> something kind of like requirement. that. Yeah. yeah. Is I, it is it possible? That, I don't know. That is that is interesting suggestion, but I uh, I think we would have to I would have to clear that with the city attorney's office to see how due process might play a role. Um, I mean, anything related to enforcement and penalties, we would have to clear through legal, but that's certainly an idea that um, we, we, can, we can ask. Okay, I have a last question just um, to, uh, for mention about the demolition the, the that um, we, we right now is a 30%, not more than five years. But my question is, can we do like particular mention about like sample? 30% can be demolition inside, not outside or maybe the backyard. Is it like something we can just mainly focus on the front end, like people see it in the street, that 30%? Or if they more than 30%, like talking about the like inside or talking about it in the backyard, I mean, close to the backyard, people cannot see it. Can we do it like that? I mean, put more, we should identify or more, information there? Uh, yeah, so so maybe kind of stepping out of the context of um, enforcement, I think um, when you look at some other city ordinances, they do give preference to the street facing facade. So for example, if we're talking about a um, study list resource and we wanna be able to scrutinize you know, somebody making a change to the building, well, we probably can um, require scrutiny or review over the front elevation that faces the street, or if they're on the corner lot, the side elevations that are visible, but maybe not the rear or the other side that is facing the, the neighbor's yard. So yes, there are, there is precedent um, established throughout the state where cities 
um, pay more careful attention to some elevations um, than the private elevations. Sure. Does that answer thank your you. question? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So if there are no other questions. We do have one public comment. Okay. Christopher Buckley. This is Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, you can. Good. Okay. Um, and I have three minutes. I'm assuming that I have three minutes unless you tell me otherwise. Um, first, we had submitted um, a statement of major objectives that we had prepared in 2015, which I, sounds like some of you have seen, you should have all gotten it. Is there anybody who did not receive that on the board? It sounds like you all did. This is one of the problems with these Zoom meetings. I can't hand you out hard copies if you didn't get it. Um, we listed um, some of the ideas in there uh, are also presented by staff and some of the board members have picked up on those. So I think we're, you know, we're kind of getting into the same wavelength here, but I would really request that the board look those over and um, decide if any of those should be pursued in as part of this effort. I'll, if I have time, I'll try to highlight some of them. Uh, there's some other more overarching comments I wanted to present though first. Um, and first, I think it's, we think it's good that uh, this is being embarked on uh, there are some deficiencies in the ordinance that should be fixed. Um, but this is not just the second time in the last 10 years this has been done. Staff is referring to the 2012-2013 revision. That was really at least the third revision over a 10-year period. So now you're embarking in the fourth attempt in a 20-year period to revise the ordinance. Those three previous provisions um, just withered on the vine for various reasons. You know, staff noted the uh, Permit Streamlining Act, uh, but sometimes it was just staff changes. Staff person working on it leaves, someone else pick, takes over and then starts all over again. So um, would highly encourage you not just to look at the 2012-13 revisions, but also the previous ones, particularly one from 2010, which had some pretty good language in it. So, you know, try not to reinvent the wheel on this. Take a look at the previous work, you know, pick out the parts that look good and start building on that. Also, don't try to bite off more than you can chew. Um, Alan uh, mentioned that with regard to the programmatic stuff, but like the tr tree ordinance stuff, that's really in some ways a separate discussion and maybe try to do that you know, as a follow-up of some kind. You know, don't try to do it concurrent with this effort. Um, I would also note in that 2012-2013 revision, there was some really problematic provisions such as giving the planning board authority over certificates of approval rather than the HAB. And we really thought that was a distraction and helped, and that was one of the things that helped derail that effort. Um, I'm running out of time here. I would just call to your attention in the write-ups. We do, there were specific definitions of demolition in the 2011 draft. Encourage you to look at that. Uh, there was findings for project approvals which was mentioned in the February 2012 draft. So pr probably you'll see that if that provision comes to you. Um, we also had a list of extensive penalties. Uh, now I'm running out of time here. Uh, can I have uh, maybe 30 more seconds or shall I stop? No, please, please finish what you're saying. Okay, uh, th uh, section 13 
of our goals has a very extensive list of enforcement um, strategies. Um, and I uh, appreciate uh, you know, board member Sanchez calling attention to one of them, but there's also a number of others. Um, and let's see, I believe I mentioned uh, findings, yes, from the 2012 ordinance. Um, I think I will just stop it at that point, but uh, please take a look at this document and give it careful consideration it was part of your, uh, your review process and particularly what you consider in the November meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buckley. Any further comments or questions? I, I would like to suggest that um, or request that staff um, provide us with not the, the list of things that you were recommending as um, changes tonight so that we have a month to think about it before we start talking about it again. But also with the 2010 and 2012 uh, proposed revisions to the ordinance, so we can start to get a feel for the, the policy language that's been reviewed in the past. Um, I think that'd be helpful and we could come uh, better educated to our next meeting and hopefully have a productive session and you know, get into it a little bit more in more detail. Um, with that, I think we can close out the, uh, I don't think there's any motions that need to be made, so this is a workshop. So we can uh, close out item 7A and uh, move forward into uh, item 8, board communication. Does anybody have anything to communicate? Nope. Neither do I. So. Uh, staff communication. Doing uh, just wanted. <laughs> yes. So uh, really quickly, just want to give you a heads up. The uh, planning board on October 12th will be um, considering the general plan update, and uh, just the opportunity to let this board know that um, the planning department is uh, doing an update of the gen general plan. Um, the last comprehensive update was done in 1991. So if you can go to alameda2040.org that is the website that has a lot of the information and at the next um, at the next meeting in front of the planning board there would be a discussion about um, preserving neighborhood character and so i think that theme has a lot of tie-in with um, the subject matter of this board and what we're discussing tonight so just want to um, uh, give you a heads up on that and also on that website um, alameda2040.org our uh, community surveys and we are looking for um, as many uh, survey responses as we can to help shape the future and especially we are looking for survey respondents of um, um, sort of the uh, uh, different ethnic groups ethnic back and income backgrounds um, we're also interested in survey responses from school age um, members of the community, uh, school-age children, because this general plan is has a 2040 horizon. So so it's really a plan for them. Um, so it's, if you have family and friends, um, spread the word. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next item is oral communication. 
any of the attendees would like to speak, if they can please raise their hand. And there's, there are no oral communications. Okay, thank you. Well, with that, um, would someone like to make a motion to adjourn this meeting? Nobody wants to adjourn? I'll make a motion to adjourn. <laughs> I'm second. No. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, we are officially adjourned. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>